for God's holy word. Let's turn to Micah uh, chapter 6. Micah 6. We'll start reading at verse 9 of Micah 6. This is God's holy and infallible word, and to give honor to the word of the Lord. If we're able, let's please stand as we give heed to the word of the Lord. Micah 6, starting at verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. The voice of the Lord will call to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time. Is there yet a man in the wicked house, along with treasury, along with treasures of wickedness, and a short measure that is cursed? Can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence, her residents speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst, and you will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil, and the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed. And in their devices you walk. Therefore I will give you up for destruction and your inhabitants for derision. And you will bear the reproach of my people. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, help us, we pray, to understand and receive your fear. That we would fear you as we read of these terrible judgments that you inflicted upon these people of old. Help us to have wisdom, sound wisdom, received from knowing that you are a holy and just God. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. One of the benefits, one of the very great benefits of consecutively preaching through the Bible is that a ministry doesn't pick and choose topically or whatever verses he wants to choose. Um, I don't know if you're, if, if you imagine that you're a preacher and you want to preach on various texts of the scriptures, but you're not committed to preaching through books of the Bible. And you want to just pick and choose, you know, something maybe that's inspiring, something that's encouraging, maybe something that you feel has a good gospel message in it. I think most people would not want to pick today's text. Think about that. If you were a preacher, would you, would you like to preach through these particular verses of judgment, destruction, derision, reproach, cursing, and all kind of judgments 
But as we look at today's text, we'll see that there's a reason why it's healthy for us to study concerning the judgments of a righteous and holy God. Um, As we look at today's text, uh, we will observe some of God's judgments due for his covenant, old covenant people, um, the Jews who, basically this is a book, uh, a book of prophecy, against not just one, but both the northern and the southern kingdom. Remember, the, the northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah, the northern kingdom was represented by its capital, Samaria, the southern kingdom was represented by its capital of Jerusalem. But this is a book that was written before um, the destruction of Samaria, and which happened first, and later which would follow the destruction of Jerusalem under Babylon. But as we look at today's text, we're going to focus on two main points. First is, listen to God's voice to fear Him. Listen to God's voice to fear Him. The second point is, God's voice in judgment. So this first main point, listen to God's voice to fear Him. Look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord will call to the city. And it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time. Now, because verse 9 is immediately followed by a great deal of judgments which were going to happen upon both Israel and Judah, I would say that the appointing of the time mentioned here has to do with the coming judgment, the appointed time of the coming judgment. I can't see any other context of what is the appointed time coming up because he's going to tell of some great and terrible things that are going to happen. And when is the appointed time? Um, God knows, but they are going to have it and they're going to get it. Now, there is sound wisdom in the words of this judgment. These words lead us to fear God. To fear God's holy name, mentioned here, fearing his holy name, is to fear his person. Now, why is it that many people in our nation, why is it that many people in our land, and maybe even in central Louisiana, don't fear the Lord as they ought? I would say that the reason is, is the the gospel message among many churches is not one that is scriptural. For instance, if you hear people talk about how to witness to someone, they might say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is a a typical statement that people use in some evangelical circles. Now, I don't know which particular verses of the Bible they're using to support that technique, but to me there's an element of prophecy in that. Because you look at somebody and you don't know if they're going to receive your message or not, but whether they're going to receive your message or not, you're telling them that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. Well, what if you tell someone that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, yet they don't receive the gospel, they reject Christ, they spit on on the Holy Church, and they spit on the Bible. Does God still love them and have a wonderful plan for their life? I don't think so. 
But how did you know God has a wonderful plan for their, for their life? Well, you're saying something that is not scriptural. Now, I wonder if there are people in hell right now who, are deceived, who were deceived by someone telling them such things like that and saying, well, oh, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my, my life. Why do I need the church? Why do I need to do anything else with my life? Because God loves me and had, had, I was told God has a wonderful plan for my life. So then I died and I went to hell. It's always troubled me with those words. Now, their future suffering is eternal woe in a, in a lake of fire along with the devil and his minions. It's not very wonderful. I think better words are these. If you confess your sin and turn from your sin and embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died for your sins and that he obeyed the law for you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will have eternal life. But there's a contingency. If, if they don't do those things, and if they don't embrace Jesus as Savior, they will perish. I think um, there's another reason why there's not enough fear of God. And another reason is why people pick and choose what they want from the Bible. There are Christians who never read through the entire Bible. They might be 50, 60, 70 years old and been in the church for 30, 40, 50 years and never read through the entire Word of God because not only for them, but their church, it, it picks and chooses what verses of the Bible they want to read. And that's why I believe it's important for us to read passages such as ours today, Micah 6, 9 through 16, passages that talk about judgment. Because these kind of passages teach us that God is holy. God is just. God is a an awesome, fearful God not to be trifled with. These verses tell us a lot about God as he was going to judge his rebellious people, both Israel and Judah. All this desolation, destruction, derision, and reproach did actually come upon his people, the people who were called according to his name. And this is all in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 talks about great curses for those who deny and disobey God and turn away to false idols. And he warned them a great, great long time prior that if they did this, if they went after false idols, that God would, would destroy them and would take them captive and cause them destruction, derision, and great judgment. I don't know about you, but when I read verses like this, sometimes I get a little bit of shock. It makes me a little bit... I, I don't know. That's just me. But some, there are some passages in some of the prophets that are so gruesome about what God does to His own covenant people, um, especially concerning the besiegements and things of that sort that it, it just, it, it kind of leaves you wide-eyed. 
and I, I hate to use this phrase, and it's, it's used in a way that is it's, it, disrespectful, but it's not really taking God's name in vain. But people say, man, that scared the hell out of me. You know what? Reading about matters like this and God's judgment for sin should scare the hell out of you. And what it needs to do is it should scare you enough to flee from sin and to cling to Jesus Christ. These readings, readings about God's judgment, tell us that He is holy. He is just, He is powerful, and that we should fear Him. And let's look a little bit at some of these judgments upon his people. Let's look at the second main point, God's voice in judgment. Judgment against false measures and weights. Look at verse 10 and 11. Is there yet a man in the wicked house along with treasures of wickedness and a short measure that is cursed? And I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights. This, uh, this passage reminds me of another um, rebuke from God in the words of Amos 8.5. God says, They make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and cheat with dishonest scales. In other words, a, sh- a bushel is like a measure of maybe grain or, or, or some sort of produce. But you have a standard measure for a bushel, but somebody's shortchanging it and making it smaller. Kind of reminds you when you buy the ice cream, it used to be half a gallon, but it ain't half a gallon anymore, is it? Somebody's like cutting it back on you. They, they, they're, they're, they're being dishonest. <laughs> it, it's not really that much dissimilar. But you know what? To be fair, when you buy a product, you have to read the ounces. Um, God was angry over violent liars. Look at verse 12. For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So the first thing he Rebukes here is the rich who are using violence for gain. Uh, think about what's going on in, even in Alexandria, Louisiana. Extreme violence and many, many people getting shot all over material gain, over drugs. Those people who live to exercise violence for material gain will perish. They will not only... <laughs> have a shortened life in this life, but they will perish for eternity in um, the pit of hell. Notice God hates a lying tongue. He mentions those who speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Proverbs 12, 22 says this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal faithfully are his delight. An abomination is something that is detestable, that God not just dislikes, but he hates terribly with a vehement hatred. 
It's an abomination. Now, some might say, well, everyone lies. It's just a sin of imperfection. But a chronic liar is someone who is an abomination to the Lord. Now, I want us to look at all of these judgments. We'll look a little bit more at the sin, but look at all these judgments mentioned there in verses 13 through 15. But first, let's look at verse 13. So also, I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. Now, God took their sins seriously, and some of them became sick and um, became desolate. I never heard of desolating used as a verb before, but they, they, he desolated them because of their wickedness and because of their sin. Now, people might say, well, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. Well, that's dispensationalism, like God's changed. Scripture says he has not changed. He's revealed a greater, wonderful, fuller plan of salvation through Jesus, but he still is a God who is angry with the wicked. Now, you might say, well, God doesn't inflict people with sickness today because of sin. Oh, really? Well, what about when God warns about not partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, those who partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, some of you are sick and some of you sleep. In other words, some of you have died. Some of you not only got ill, but you died because of illness because you took of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Okay, what does that do with the argument of, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament, uh, you know, he's this way, but the God of the New Testament, well, yeah. Uh, you remember Jezebel in, in the book of Revelation, this woman called Jezebel. I don't think that was her real name, but a woman called Jezebel who was causing the saints in the, in the early church to sin. God struck her down, and those of her children, or maybe those who committed sin with her, in a sickbed. God inflicted some of those people with sickness. Not only is that, it's Jesus himself said he inflicted her. Jesus, who reigning in heaven, inflicted this woman with sickness, those and her children with sickness because of wickedness. How does that work with an argument of, well, God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament doesn't do anything like that? Let's look on at verse 14 of today's text. It says, You will eat... But you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. I think this is talking about the coming siege when uh, both Samaria and and, uh, Jerusalem are surrounded by pagan enemies. But go on, verse 15. You will sow... But you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil. And the grapes, you will tread the grapes, but you will not drink wine. 
In other words, you, you, you're going to take your produce, you're going to try to get something from it, and it's not going to produce anything. Well, I don't know, maybe the olives were dehydrated and so dry, they wouldn't produce any oil. Maybe the grapes weren't any good, they, they tried to tread them, but they couldn't get any juice out of them. They were worthless. Um, when I read these words from verses 14 and 15, I think of this saying, spinning your wheels. If God is not for you, and God is against you, you will spin your wheels. You will try to do and to produce something, but it will not go well with you. It will be stifled. Uh, how do I... How do I express this? These are bad words of terrible situation, but they're very poetic from Haggai uh, 6, I mean, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read this to you. Haggai 1, 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat. But there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm. And he who earns, earns wages to be put in a purse with holes. Can you imagine? You? It's like, what, what a greater passage, speaking of spinning one's wheels. You try to clothe yourself to keep warm, but you can't keep warm. You, you try to drink, but you're never going to be satisfied. You, uh, you earn wages, and it just goes down through holes in your pocket and through holes in your purse, spinning your wheels. And it's the same thing God says here, here in, a, in, Mount, in a Micah. You will sow, but you will not reap. Why does that happen? Why will you spin your wheels like this? Because God is not for you. He's against you because of your wickedness and sin. Um, one of the reasons why God was against his people and why he didn't accept their worship or their sacrifices it's mentioned before, and again, in Isaiah 1, that they, he was not pleased with all the, their animal sacrifices. All that they brought before him, they weren't ple- God wasn't pleased with that anymore. And the reason he wasn't pleased with that was because they came to him with defiled hands, bloody hands, guilty of murder. But at the same fashion, you have these people here in the book of Micah, they, they want to go and worship before the Lord, but what are they... Yeah, they, they're praying to God in the temple. Uh, they're, they're praying to the Lord, and they're worshiping Him. They're offering sacrifices, yet they're cheating one another. Yet they're smacking and hurting others in order for getting gain. They're being violent toward others. They're lying through their teeth. But we'll get even further of why God is angry with them. Let's look a little bit more at this prophecy. Verse 16, he says that he was against them because they sinned like King Omri and his son, King Ahab. Look at verse 16. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed, 
and in their devices you walk. Therefore I will give you up for destruction, and your inhabitants for derision. You will bear the reproach of my people. To get a little glimpse of how bad their sin was, you have to look at the one the ones that they were following after. They weren't following after the holy prophets. They weren't following after the holy King David uh, and his listening and reading his psalms. They weren't following after what the scripture taught. They weren't following after Moses. They weren't following after the writings of Moses. They were following after Omri and King Ahab. Let's turn to 1 Kings 16. First Kings 16. Perhaps you didn't realize, but Omri was the father of Ahab. Let's start at verse 25. This is King Omri here, verse 25. Omri, uh, this is, these are both rulers in Israel, not in Judah. Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sins which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord of Israel with their idols. Now, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he was the man who had this evil plan of saying, I want to keep my people from going over to Judah, the kingdom of Judah, to worship at the temple. Because if they worship at the temple, they're going to have affections for Judah. Maybe they'll go over to Judah, and they'll leave my kingdom. Therefore, I'm going to give them two places in my kingdom where they can worship, and I'm going to set up golden calves. And they come and worship the golden calves instead. That's Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and his sin. Let's read on. Verse 27. Now the, re- the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and his might, which he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son became king in his place. Now Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, like father, like son. In other words, it says that Omri broke the record. He did more evil than all came before him. And then his son comes along, Ahab, and Ahab excelled the record of his father. And he did more evil than even his father who came before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built for Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah, Thus uh, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel 
her who were before him. See, at this time, this is the same king whose wife wanted to take all of Israel and make them worshipers of Baal. And that's when we have that great fight between um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. But can you imagine your king who is called to be a ruler of the people of God, basically marrying the most evil pagan women, a woman known in all of the, in all of the world, and then having all of the people, the people of God, worshiping pagan, a pagan god. Again, we we'll look back at Micah six. Micah tells that because of the wickedness of these sins, that the people, it wasn't just Omri, it wasn't just Ahab, but these people who were the audience of Micah, these people were the ones who were worshiping idols in the same fashion as Omri and Ahab. And that's why God was going to destroy them. God promised earlier in this prophecy he was going to take their idols and he was going to burn them with fire. They refused to smash the idols and burn them, so God was going to, not, God was going to handle it. And he's going to bring in foreign armies, besiege them, burn not only their idols, but burn their cities as well, that they would then know and fear God. The Lord. Now, is this all because these people were pagans? Some of them were elect. Some of them were God's chosen people who were disciplined and were taken into captivity and after many years of captivity were brought back to their homeland and restored and then later on their descendants were given Jesus the Messiah as the fulfillment of his promise to be God with them, Emmanuel. And God brought final salvation to his people. How do we escape the coming judgment of God due for sin? Only by embracing Jesus Christ as he's offered to you in the gospel. That Jesus suffered and died the very pains of hell so that you will not have to suffer hell. Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly and you must have your faith in him because only through him you have hope of salvation. Let's pray together. Our glorious Father, we pray that you would help us to have sound wisdom that we would heed these warnings. And by the warnings that you gave to your people of old, of the judgments that you inflicted upon your own people, that we would learn to fear you, for you are a holy and just and awesome God. Help us to remember that you are a God who is to be feared and not trifled with. And help us, we pray, to be those who are quick to repent of our sins and turn back unto you. O Father, have mercy upon us 
and help us to embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the Holy Gospel. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, I want us to turn to 557, Great King of Nations, hear our prayers. Let's stand and sing 557.